God in Christ created a community for people to be a part of. One of the responsibilities of those who are called to God in Jesus Christ is to be obedient to the will of God. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning into today's sermon, The Community of God, taken from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. In this sermon, we will look at Jesus' healing of a leper and how when Jesus healed him, it allowed him access into his community But Jesus coupled the blessing with the command for the man to be obedient to God's command giving in the Old Testament for healed lepers. This passage gives us insight into the importance of being included back into God's fold and the necessity of being obedient, especially when we recognize we're blessed by Jesus. Jesus' teachings were not only to instruct people on how to live so that they can inherit the kingdom of heaven, but was also to invite, include, show people how they were to live as a community, including those who were at once at odds with God and to a group of people who were centered on being obedient to the God of heaven with like-minded individuals so that they can have a place on earth and people to journey through in faith as they made heaven their home. Because we do want to see them when we leave this place. But to get there, it takes faith. And that faith is demonstrated through our actions based on obedience to God's word. Because we all come from a place to where at one point our relationship to God was ruptured and we were outsiders of God's community. And God did something in his son, Jesus Christ, that removed our uncleanliness, removed the stain of sin so that we could be included into his community of believers that walked and communed and fellowshiped with one another on this earth, anticipating the day when we will be eternally with God in heaven. But there was a group of people, while they started off as God's people in the Bible, something happened and they were excluded from the community. Those were lepers. And the lepers, no matter how bad they wanted to live amongst the people, they couldn't because of their condition of leprosy. And this pandemic has made us all get some sense of what the lepers experienced because it has put everybody at a distance from everyone else and it has excluded people and our mask in a way shout unclean, unclean and let somebody sneeze. You're going to do as much as you can to create as much space in between them and you as fast as possible. Why? Because you do not want to catch whatever it is that you think that they may have. You see, the lepers, they lived in a constant state of uncleanliness, and everybody who came across them knew it. 
Matter of fact, let's read Leviticus 13, 44 through 46 to give us some context of the situation we're going to come across for our sermon to see exactly the plight of a leper. Leviticus 13, verse 44 reads, He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head and the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp shall be his habitation. The lepers had a lonely, secluded life. And dare I say, like I briefly mentioned, the coronavirus has relegated not just those with the virus, but those who may have come in contact with somebody with the virus, those who people think have the virus, to the plight of a leper. And so they have to distance themselves. And it's the perfect time to kind of look at this passage of scripture that I didn't even force upon us because we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. And here we have found ourselves in chapter eight after Jesus has concluded teaching this sermon on what it really means to to live godly in these two paths that we're going to find ourselves on, either the straight or narrow or the broad and wide, which lead to destruction of this one that leads to God. Jesus is coming down from this mountain where he has preached this sermon and the people have heard him. And here we meet Christ in scripture at chapter eight in Matthew. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of a group of miracles that Matthew records, not just to show that Jesus came teaching, but also that Jesus came doing works to validate his teaching, but also to bring people to a sense of wholeness. Because as much as God wants us to make heaven our home, he also wants us to have a level of wholeness in this life. And he has the ability through his son, through his spirit, to bring us to that state of wholeness because he doesn't want us to just remain broken. He wants his people to be able to interact with his people so that we can help each other be who God is calling us all to be. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleaned. And Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. 
this leper who was accustomed to coming across groups of people covering his mouth and saying, unclean, unclean has come into contact with this Jesus who has just preached this sermon, telling people how they are to live according to God's standards. And he has the audacity not to yell unclean, but Jesus, if you're willing, you can help me. Think of the faith that that had to take for him to put aside this scar of leprosy, this, this sign of outcastedness that he had to live with and approach Jesus worshiping him, humbly approaching Jesus, worshiping him and asking Jesus to do something that only Jesus could do for him. And imagine the love that Jesus has for him because he's not only able, but he's also willing to heal the man. It makes us think. There's a lot of broken people in this world. A lot of people who are separated from the community of God who if they only humbly approached Christ would find that he was willing to bring them to wholeness. And for us that have done that, how does that make you feel to know that you're part of a community, not of perfect people, but perfected people, who Christ had to do something for each and every person and meet them where they was and was willing to do it to bring them to a state to where they could now be included into the congregation. It's a wonderful thought that we have a savior like that. Because this man could have just said, I'm not worthy to be clean. I'm a leper. And my lot in life is to stay away from individuals and holler unclean, unclean. But no, he said, there's the man that can help me and I'm going to go to him and I'm going to cast my cares to him and perchance he will have mercy on me. And we see that Jesus has mercy on him. And what does he do? Immediately, his leprosy is cleaned. We would like that to be the end of the story because it ties up kind of neat and tidy. But it's not. Because Jesus does not operate separate and apart from God's will. And what was God's will at this time? That a leper had to be validated by a priest. But Jesus just healed him. The son of God came and cleansed the man and made him whole. But Jesus, working in addition in conjunction with God's plan said, me bringing you to wholeness is not enough for you to be included back into God's fold. You must also go do what God said go do. You see, with the mercy comes a responsibility. You see, while Jesus loves us enough to take care of us, to bring us back to a state of wholeness, those who have been brought back 
to a state of wholeness who have been included back into the community to which they were excluded to because of their state of uncleanliness still have an obligation to God. And it's not just enough that Jesus says, I'm willing, and now your leprosy is gone. There's a stipulation that this man might meet. And just to put it on our minds afresh, I want us to hear exactly what it was that Jesus was telling this man to do in accordance to the law. First, we must recognize that while Jesus is greater than any priest, he still sent the man back to a priest. Because it was a priest who acknowledged that the man was unclean at first and told him he has to cast himself outside of the community, which was a lengthy process. But for him now to be included back into the community, a step that Jesus was not going to overlook, this is what had to happen. If you want to follow along, I'll be reading Leviticus 14. It's a rather lengthy passage, but I think it would serve us justice because Jesus wasn't telling this man something simple. But what he was telling him was necessary because God commanded it. Leviticus 14. We already read what a leper must do once he was pronounced a leper. Now this is what a man must do once his leprosy is cleansed. Starting at verse 1. See, this is the, this is the Lord speaking. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop, and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be clean shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. You see what's happening so far? He has to bring an offering to the priest and the priest has to make an offer and seven days he has to wait until after this process is done. Is he finished? No. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall shave off and he shall wash his clothes. Also, he shall wash his flesh in water and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take 
two he lambs without blemish and one you lamb of the first year without blemish and three tenth deals of flying flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and one log of oil. You see all that he has to get after he has made the offering on the first day, waited seven days, cut off all his hair, washed himself. He now must go get a he lamb, two of them, one ewe lamb, three-tenths deal of flying flour, a meat offering, which was a grain offering, mingled with oil, and a log of oil. And there's another process that he must go through. And the priest that maketh him clean shall present this man that is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is a priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of this trespass offering and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put up on the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the right thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot upon the blood of the trespass offering. And the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be clean from his uncleanliness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meat offering upon the altar. And the priest shall make an atonement for him and he shall be clean. All of that is the process that a person who's cleansed the leprosy must undertake when they are cleansed of leprosy and Jesus does not side skirt any of that. And I just want us to read verse 21 to understand that there's another process. If a person says, I can't afford the two he lambs and the you lamb and I'm poor. Just read verse 21. And if he be poor and cannot get so much, then it goes on to tell what a person's to do if they're poor. So there's a process for those who have the means and a process for those who are poor and don't have the means for the standard offering to cleanse them from leprosy. But what I want us to keep in mind is that as this leper comes to Jesus beseeching to be healed of his leprosy and is cleaned by Jesus, Jesus tells him, you must also do what God wants you to do. It's not enough to just be clean. You need to be clean and obedient to the will of God. And all of this was necessary for this man to now be included back into the community of God's people. 
So when we read all of the stipulations, it helps us to understand, as in the one passage where Jesus cleansed the ten lepers and he told them to go tell the priest and nine of them ran off and one of them came back and thanked him, that that might not have been the first thing on somebody's mind when they got healed. They might have wanted to go and show and tell everybody. Jesus tells them, don't tell everybody. He does it. There's another passage Jesus tells the person that he cleans, don't tell anybody, but he goes and tell everybody instead of doing the commandments of the Lord. And when you see the process that one has to go through to be fully accepted and fully right by God's standard, it makes it humanly possible to understand why somebody would not be fully obedient because it's exact, it's detailed, it's a lengthy process, and it's going to cost you something that you might not want to part with. But what it also is going to do is going to show that your full appreciation for what God has done is met with obedience, and you're willing to do what God asks you to do because he has brought you from a place where only he could bring you from. And that's the case where we find a leper. But more importantly, that's the mindset that we find of Jesus as he confronts this leper and he's willing to bring him to a state of wholeness. And that wholeness is not separate and apart from the will of God. So as we think about, we've just went through the entire Sermon on the Mount and Jesus has told us the type of people he wants us to be. He's given us the teachings that we're to know that guides us in this life. Now this section of scripture that Matthew is is writing down for those believers who read this gospel is going to show the acts of Jesus that not only validate his teachings, but bring people to a sense of wholeness. And the first miracle that we see in this section is a miracle that Jesus demands a person align their wills with God's. And it teaches us something. That it takes more than just a desire from Jesus to bring us to where we really need to be before God. Because we have recognized that even in our lives and even more so in people's lives that we see all across the religious spectrum that Jesus, that God, that the Spirit has moved in people's lives and has blessed them with what they have come to God for and they've been healed, they have been brought back to a sense of wholeness but yet they didn't uphold their end of the bargain and they didn't submit their will to God's will and do the very things that God demanded of his people. Not because he was trying to be mean, not because he was trying to to make a person jump through hoops and hurdles just to see if they'll do it. No, because that was the stipulation that was for the whole community of God's people. And the obedience was a true sign of, what can I say, appreciation for what God 
has done for them in bringing them back to wholeness. You see, Jesus is not working separate and apart from God. And while people try to sometimes set it up as Jesus has one way, God has another. No, their wills are one. And the very thing that God demands of us is the very thing that Jesus is calling us to. And just because a person receives blessings doesn't mean that that is where it stops. One must be receptive of the blessing, but also obedience to the will of the command of God. And that will and command of God was taught in the very Sermon on the Mount, which causes people to live contrary to what the flesh calls us to. So when a person recognizes that they have come to Christ, that they have come to God through his spirit and asks them, to bless them, to heal them, to restore them, to bring them back to a sense of wholeness, the proper response is to do the very things that God demands we do in our lives. So that means we must learn to forgive. That means we must learn to wait on God's vengeance. That means we must learn to give. That means we must learn to pray. That means we must learn to love. That means we must learn God's word so much so that it guides us through the straight, narrow, and hard path of life because the reception of a blessing does not mean that we have done everything that we need to do to be accepted by God. It just shows that God is willing to work with us and he loves us enough to bring us to a point to where we can understand that we are still loved. But we also recognize, as this is often overlooked in the Church of Christ, that the teachings of Christ are also met with actions of Christ. That we're not left alone in this world just to learn this biblical story and to learn these commands and this doctrine and this Bible and that we're left alone. No. We are left with the Spirit of God which guides us but also gives us the things necessary for this life and for salvation. And we can walk in faith knowing that God has not left us alone to our own devices and that God's not going to let us unduly suffer and remain in a state of brokenness while calling us to faith. His teachings are coupled with deeds that only God can perform to bring us to a state of wholeness, to bring us to a community to where we are all working together, striving to maintain the standard that God is calling us to. You see, it's one thing to just leave us with his word, but that's not what God did. What Jesus tells us, it is better for me to leave because in leaving, I'm sending down the comforter. And what happens with the Holy Spirit? 
It's in all of us. We all have a piece of God in us which leads us, which empowers us to do what God wants and even helps us when we're unable to help ourselves. So that's why we go to God in prayer. Because we understand that we have a God who answers those prayers. We have a God who hears the very desires of our hearts and his answer is not, I'm not listening to you, but his answer is, I am willing that you be whole. But I'm also desiring that you are obedient and align your wills with mine. And when I answer your prayers, take heed to my word. Fair exchange, right? What more could you ask for? The very God that created this world is so in tune with each of us at an individual level that he's willing to listen to the very things that we go to him with, answer them, and have a standard for everybody to live up to. So it's not unfair that God says, I'll answer your prayers at this level, but I want you to live at this level. And everybody that I'm calling is living at the same level. And what I'm asking you is to demonstrate faith in my son, Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. The same thing I ask for you, I ask for all Christians. And that's why it's important that we recognize that Jesus, Christianity, is leading us back to a community. I think one of the things that made it difficult for the leper was not the fact that he had leprosy. Because a lot of times people are struggling with ailments, and over time we get used to those ailments, and it just becomes a part of our nature, and we can live with it. But the thing that hurts us the most is being alienated from the very people that we love. Not being able to communicate, not being able to touch, not being able to talk to, to see the very persons whom we deem valuable, important in our lives. That has become more prevalent during this pandemic that we're experiencing. They're saying that a lot of people are suffering not from the fact that there's a virus out there, because there are a lot of people who have that virus, but people are suffering from the fact that they have to socially distance themselves from others, and the fact that they're isolated is causing them a lot of anxieties, depressions, and people are doing bad things to themselves, some of it leading to death, but some of the stuff is not always death. Some of it's overeating, some of it's turning to drugs, some of it's turning to pornography, some of it's turning to sinful behaviors, some of it is lashing out on the very ones who they're confined with because they're not able to get back into the communities in which they once were a part of and experience life to the fullest. And as Christians, we are benefited with having a community of faith who all profess the same belief in the same God, who understand we have the same standard of living and we hold each other accountable. And when we're separated from that, we find ourselves slipping lower and lower and not living up to the bar. That's why church attendance is important. Holds us accountable. That's why Bible class 
is beneficial because it keeps us as a group in God's word working through the same spiritual concepts. That's why the relationships that we build in Christ are essential to being who God has called us to be because we know where we're supposed to be as children of God. And when we're separated from that, we're separated from the full extent of who God wants us to be. And how marvelous is it when the very thing that's separating us from our brothers and sisters is removed and we're brought back into community and we're able to fellowship and flourish and to enjoy each other's company and to hold each other accountable and to live up to a godly standard. How beneficial is that? Not just for us as individuals, but for the church as a collective. And that's what Jesus is calling us to when he makes us whole, when he answers our prayers, when he sends us back to God's will to get our lives aligned with what God wants us to be aligned with. There's something to be said about being brought back into God's fold. Because we all come to Christ broken. We all come to God as outsiders to the community. And in Jesus Christ, God has brought us back into relationship to him with others who are like-minded. But there's a standard. There's a will of God that must be met when the blessing is received. We're all thankful for each other. And we're thankful for what God has done in bringing us together as a community. Because I'm pretty sure if we would have thought about it as a church, we might have included a different group of people. But it's not upon us. It's upon God. And for some reason, God saw fit to have this collection of people meet at this congregation. And it's going to be a benefit for us when we are all aligned with God's will. He's blessed us all. He's brought us from a broken world into a group of like-minded individuals for the purpose of community and godly living. And we're all benefited from that. And we miss out on something when the person is missing. And we're appreciative of each individual when they come. And I think it does something to us that we don't quite put into words but it's felt in the hearts. If we could extend that love that we show to each other, to others who are seeking God, just think what we would be. But that would demand that we're all holding each other to a godly standard.
just because a person receives a blessing from God doesn't mean that they're where they need to be. It just is a sign that God is continually to work through us through his son and his spirit to get us to bend our will to his. I'm not sure where that leaves anybody. What I was wanting us to consider is the fact that we have all come from something that separated us from God and God's people. But we have all been blessed and brought to a sense of wholeness through Christ, something only he could do. And because he has done that, we have an obligation out of understanding what we have been given, received, to bend our wills to God's will and to do what he wants, even if it seems tedious, even if it seems laborious, even if it's something we don't understand. Because like the lepers, that was a lengthy process. Seven days, you go through this, then wait, and on the eighth day, you bring these offerings, and then the priest has to confirm that you're cleansed, and only then can you go back into the community. And while we don't have a process like that today, when we sin, when that sin is acknowledged, repented of, we do have an obligation to hold each other to a godly standard, to point each other back to scripture when we recognize that we have gone astray. And also, we should have a desire to make this a community that is welcoming and accepting of all those who are seeking God, realizing that if somebody is brought here by the spirit, that we were once where they were at might not have been the same sin but we were once separated from God and his people and the thing that keeps us held tight together is the love that we have for each other that's demonstrated through our acts our deeds and dare I say by our commitment to continue to worship here together we love each other. And our love is expressed by coming here, by the fellowship that we have, which is built upon the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what God is calling us to. And let's not never forget it. Because if we do, then there's a danger that we could take on those sins that were once forgiven of us and lose out on that eternal salvation that God freely gives us. My prayer is that we continue to grow in unity, that God continues to meet us where we're at and deal with the issues that we're having, and that we understand the depth of love that God has for us so that we can do the very things that he desires of us all. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. 
To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in Scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.